0: Welcome to the Skeptical Auditor Podcast, I'm your host, Dr. Hernan Murdoch. Today on the show we are joined by Trent Russell, founder of Green Skies Analytics, host of the Audit Podcast and co-host of the Audit Room. In this episode, we talk about two key perspectives to stay up to date given the rapid technological adoption within audit and our organizations. We also learn how we can work more effectively with data custodians within our organizations, and we share a very important career recommendation that will help you elevate your status as an internal auditor now and for many years to come. All that and more, starting now. Welcome to the Skeptical Auditor. I'm Dr. Hernan Murdoch, and with me today, we have someone who has a lot of experience in a variety of areas related to internal audit. This is uh, Trent Russell, founder of Green Skies Analytics, host of the Audit Podcast, and co-host of the Audit Room. Welcome, Trent.
1: Thank you for having me. Always interesting to be on the other side of the the Q&A part of a a podcast. So thanks for having me.
0: (laughs) So now you have experience on both sides of the microphone, let's call it that. you are fantastic in terms of the different uh, things that you know about. And, and, and again, by virtue of your role uh, as a podcaster and, and, and so many other things that you do, you have some insights into a lot of the things affecting the profession and also what auditors are sharing about their experiences. But I'm curious about uh, how you got into this field in the first place. So How do you become an internal auditor related to this uh, line of work, this profession?
1: Yeah, the the program that I came from in college was really good about bringing in Big Four um, and and huge Fortune five hundred companies, et cetera. They had great relationships with them, so I had a really good relationship with um, Ernst and Young before I even interviewed with them. And so that's that's really how I got into it. I basically saw them present three years in a row, and it just so happened that the year I graduated, they were voted like best company to start your career with. And so when I got the offer, I was like, well, why would you want to start literally anywhere else other than the best one to start with? So that's how I got into audit uh, in general. And then from there, I think, you know, natural kind of progression for folks that leave external audit, public accounting, they go into internal audit. Um, And so that's what I did. But even when I was in public accounting, I specifically remember, and I've told the story before, I was looking at terminated users uh, and testing that. And so we had a list of all the terminated users, and I had a list of all the users, and we'll just call it the GL. And, and someone um, that I was working with, a senior, said, hey, you know, you use a VLOOKUP and look to see if there's anybody that's been terminated is also in the listing as having user access, and then we can test all of them at once instead of having to take this sample, et cetera. And so I did that, and that's that's like where it kind of clicked for me in terms of the value of analytics can add. And to me, it was just like, what? Like, why do we not do this everywhere? And then I found out <laughs> even more about like ACL and these tools that it can automate it. And I was like, you guys know, we, and this at this given client, they had uh, over sixty in scope applications. And so I was like, you know, we can test all of these next year in about forty five seconds by pushing a button, right? Um, and so that that's really that's when it just like it sparked in my brain the the importance and the value of using analytics within internal audit. So that's that's kind of where I got my uh, my start.
0: And, and and may I ask what year
1: that was? That was two thousand ten.
0: Okay, all right. Because uh, as we as we talk about uh, the evolution of the profession and how we have um, let's call it improved our methodologies, this is one of those dynamics where. We have been talking about, I started an audit in 1998, and uh, we were already working with ACL and and Excel and, and various other tools that were available, again, rudimentary by today's standards. But we were doing a lot of modeling back then, a lot of data mining and analytics, and it was surprising a lot of clients, but it was available then. Fast forward 2010, and you're telling me that there were auditors who were still surprised by the ability to do VLOOKUPs and to be able to look at two variables at the same time. So again, we are seeing how we have, in some cases, moved too slowly, given the availability of resources that we have available in the world based on tools that, you know, you mentioned ACL and Alteryx and so many other tools that are available. We need to fast forward our our profession as relates to that. So we need to continue to advocate for a revision of our methodology because just sampling, especially non-statistical sampling, uh, in many cases, I I don't want to confuse our listeners either. Uh, There are some procedures that you cannot perform with data analytics, but uh, we need to uh, use some creativity and our imaginations to identify areas where this might be uh, doable. So how about uh, another thing that is very near and dear to auditors. Uh, And that is in terms of risks and trends and technologies, things that are impacting the profession. And of course, the world is moving very quickly uh, in all of those dimensions. So these are very somewhat of a complex question, I understand. But what do you see? What do you anticipate? How do you see things evolving that auditors need to be uh, aware of and pay attention to? Because this, if it's not affecting them yet, it very likely will affect them soon. What do you think in terms of risks, trends, and technologies that we need to keep our eyes out for?
1: I think there's two ways to look at it. One is what can we an internal audit use to um, better ourselves and better our engagements and, and et cetera. And then there's, okay, what is the organization using and how much understanding of that tech do we need to have in order to properly audit it? And so for example, machine learning, which if I boiled it down, machine learning is just being able to make a prediction on something. And so um, again, I'll give the example. If you have like a transaction list and you know this transaction was fraudulent, this one was, this one was not, this one was, you can build a model to then say, hey predict for me the other transactions that might be fraudulent. And so that's kind of machine learning example in a nutshell. Um, Very, -hmm. very simplified version of it. And so I don't have this expectation that every audit department should have machine learning models and like a a, a true data scientist that's a PhD statistician. Um, But we can like we should have this like basic understanding of data and analytics. Um, But on the other side of that, if you have an internal audit department, it's very likely somewhere in the organization they're using machine learning themselves, either developing the models themselves or using some vendor-provided software um, that kind of does that mm-hmm. for them, or the, the vendor does it and you know kind of sends it back. Um, and so I think what's going to be very important because there is a ton of risk associated with machine learning. Um, the most uh, one of the more infamous examples is. Amazon. They get thousands of resumes a day. They don't know how to sort through those. And so they built a model to say, hey, let's take all of our five-star employees that we currently have. Let's build a model that we can run against all these employees, uh, all these resumes that are coming in. And the model will say, we think this person's going to be good. This person's going to be good. This person's not going to be good, Amazon worker. And so from there, you can dwindle down that process of onboarding and you know, all the interviews and all that kind of stuff, which is great, like fantastic idea it like sounds good yeah and uh, yeah it does um the issue there was because uh silicon valley and tech is male dominated the resumes mm-hmm. that they from the population that they came from were all primarily male and so if someone from a you know an all-female college applied the model would go well, we don't have anybody from that school or if you have you know women's tennis champion, or, you know as a horrible example, you know, well we don't have any women's tennis champions here, so it kicked that out. Um, and so it was, there was bias in that model to Amazon's uh, credit. They realized that and uh, and fixed it. But those are the types of things that can happen with machine learning. And so again, we don't necessarily need to understand how to develop those models. We do need to have an understanding of how to audit those to mitigate the, the that risk of, Uh, the model producing some undesired result that we did not know um, it was going to be. So I I think those are, um, again, kind of two different sides of it, but that's how I tend to look at it.
0: You know, it's interesting that you bring this up because I am hearing two different things. One of them, of course, what you just highlighted, because it created this bias of hiring people just like me. And as humans, we sometimes struggle with that. And there's a whole body of knowledge trying to correct for some of those biases. But then we also have this other dynamic where we are looking at the ethics, of uh, the machine learning and, and how it goes about it being developed and applied. And we probably also need to keep that in mind. So as auditors, we need to understand not only how much is spent on this technology, how it is being developed and the modeling happening behind it, but the ethics as well. So there's a lot of room for us to intervene and and, and add value and verify that uh, the organization is, is keeping an eye for these type of possible downsides to this technology. Now, one of the things about it, it just curious, and we don't have to get into specifics about pricing, of course, but my understanding is that machine learning uh, in RPA and so on, the cost has gone down substantially. So whereas a few years ago, it was usually the very large organization could afford these technologies, now the price point for a lot of these things is so much lower. So even those listeners who work for organizations that are very small should be on the lookout because their organizations could be adopting machine learning and RPA because of the lower price point. Is, is, is that an accurate statement?
1: Yep. Um, so the basically the older technology gets, the cheaper it becomes. And so there are, you know, analytics tools out of the box that have machine learning type functionality in them. So you don't have to, you don't have to be a programmer anymore necessarily to be able to do some of this work. Um for the most part, it's fairly like drag and drop, and there's a GUI interface that you can use. And so they've made it easier. Um again not only does it become cheaper, but usually over time, technology becomes easier to use. The example that I'd like to give is if you think, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago, if you're gonna develop a website, you had to like type every little thing, I want this picture to go (laughs) right here and I want it to be this size. Now, you just go to a website creator, grab a picture and you want it to be in the top left corner, you just drag and drop it there and it works, you know? And so that's kind of the shift in data, especially, less hard coding, more kind of drag-and-drop, user-friendly type, um, type tools.
0: Okay. Yes, because I, I think that sometimes uh, people f- feel that, oh, we're not going to be embracing that. I, I can say the same thing for things like blockchain and, and, and other technologies, Internet of Things, for example, where you say, well, my, my organization is too small. They probably won't be doing this for a while. Should look into yeah. it, ask, and confirm, verify, because uh, you may be surprised by what may be happening in your other departments. Uh, Trent, uh, let's take a short break. But when we come back, I'd like to continue this conversation because we're touching on some very, very interesting points. And I'd like to pick your brain a little bit longer. So uh, we'll be back in a few moments. This episode is brought to you by ACI Learning. Are you looking for CPE credits, professional development to continue your education or a custom team training solution? Here at ACI Learning, we've been building high quality training for over 40 years, meeting the needs of every learner. Our training solutions will keep you and your team engaged and motivated to learn, helping students stay sharp in their field and better serve the organization. Join thousands of global audit risk and compliance professionals. Visit acilearning.com to find out how we're disrupting the audit learning space. Trent, we have been talking about data analytics and technology, and one of the things that becomes apparent is that, uh, in many cases, we need to get data. And that data may be held by IT or other data custodians. So one of the questions that I have is, what do auditors usually not get? about working with these units when it comes to trying to make this process of embracing the analytics more fluid, more effective, more productive for everyone involved? What are the things that auditors should keep in mind when trying to work with these other
1: units? One thing, and I think it surprises people when I say this, is empathizing with the person that's gonna be providing the data. Like they have so many, you know, there's so many responsibilities on them. Data is what drives the organization. And so something, you know, tech, failures happen. I don't think that's a shock to anybody. Um, and so things break, they need to go fix them. They have production support. I mean, they they have a ton of responsibilities. Usually IT uh, departments are understaffed and under-resourced. And so I would always go into those going, hey, look, I know you have a lot of st- other stuff going on. Um, I just need X, Y, Z. And then, you know, what what's a reasonable timeframe for you based on like what you have going on? Um, in your day to day, and so I think empathizing with them has always been almost key to the relationship. There, I think the other thing is if you don't have the data background and you can't speak their language, be upfront about that. One of my favorite things, especially when I was in external audit and I had to audit uh, Windows AD, Unix, Linux, uh, Oracle, uh, SQL, SAP, you know, PeopleSoft. Like, I, there's no way I could be an expert. In all of those, I could barely be an expert in one of those, and so I, and I would so I'd tee those conversations up like that and go, look, there's it's impossible for me to be an expert on this. You do this job every single day; you're the expert. Please, you know, like understand that I'm I, I will. It's not even likely I will ask a dumb question, um, and so I just need you to understand that and 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 reiterate. I think the other piece to be uh, the objective, like this is why we need this data. I think when people go in, it's just like, hey, give me all the data. They're like, no, what do you need it for? I have other stuff to do. So if you can't communicate Mm -hmm. why it should be a priority to them, then it's just going to fall down uh, into the back of their backlog and um, delay getting the data, which tangent here. um, Data acquisition is usually the number one reason people can't move up kind of the maturity model. So how can you use, you know, how can you do it timely if you don't have the data and you need to get that timely? So overall, it's, it's really about it's as much about soft skills as it is about anything else and being able to empathize with that person and build a relationship with them to where you can call them up and be like, hey, can you run that thing for me one more time? I'm sorry, we need it again for the last six months. Um, and so it, everything boils down to relationships. And so just kind of keep that in mind, even for the uber dorky tech people.
0: You know, I I, I like what you say in terms of of building that relationship and and, and how we need to think about also soft skills, because sometimes what happens is that we are so focused on the data analytics and the formulas and the templates and looking in terms of how we can uh, mine the data and so on, and we forget that in many cases, we're talking about people that we need to interact with. So I I like your perspective on that because I think it's so, so accurate uh, that we need to make sure we give that some time as well and value that relationship and also a little bit of empathy. Uh, They have other uh, things that they're doing and we need to be mindful about that as well. So with that, though... Uh, One of the things that I'm curious about and over the years as I've done different audits in different organizations, uh, one of the things that becomes apparent is the question between asking someone for the data and getting it yourself. And uh, in some cases, the data custodians don't want to make it available to the auditors because they're concerned that they're going to run routines that will slow down the system. They may uh, do something and and, and create a, a big problem somehow if they were to override something or make mistakes. So we have some concerns, and I appreciate that. And I always tell them that I only need view only or be able to extract the data uh, itself. But sometimes they have some reservations. So in general, uh, Trent, what do you think about auditors learning not only how to use the tool, but also being able to do the extraction? Is that something you hear often or is that still an outlier and we usually default to asking others for the data? What's your experience with that?
1: If, typically, if there's a full time data analyst on the team, that's like one of their primary, you know, jobs is to get data um, and get direct access to it. And so for those, I, I that's pretty common. Um, uh-huh. For the the folks that don't have a dedicated analyst, I wouldn't expect that. The thing that I would do though, I mean, you can. The thing that I would do though is go, okay, what data do we need? Pretty consistently, like usually, uh, I know on the IT audit side, we needed new new hires terms transfers like we needed that for so many of our procedures um right that even that that's what i would like tackle almost first as a way to think about it and you can do it one of two ways like you can yeah if, if that won't give you direct access because it's hr data it's sensitive and you might blow the system up which um side note it's almost like um uh, a rite of passage for an analyst to connect to a data source and then bring the system down. That <laughs> we, We've shared those stories in my uh, audit analytics group about like, how did you bring it down? Well, oh, I did that. So anyway, um, that happens. Um, so just a matter of time. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone but, has but a story. I, yeah. But what I can say is like, if you have that data set that you need access to on a frequent basis and they won't give you direct access, uh-huh. there's other ways around that. I mean, the the person that's pulling the data can, can automate the job. They can, uh, run it for you, you know, it'll run on a monthly basis and, you know, they'll drop it on a shared drive or drop it on your SharePoint or something like that so that you can still get the data, although you might not be able to plug in directly to the data source. So there's always a a solution.
0: That's great. Great advice there uh, uh, in terms of thinking, in terms of what you may have as a recurring need. That's a great uh, tip there as well. Uh, And of course, this also touches on uh, the importance of IT governance and making sure that we uh, are able to trust the data in terms of integrity, you know, the completeness and the reliability of the data that we're pulling uh, in case new databases are created and how that might impact what we do. So very important thing to keep in mind. So as we're talking about all of these skills, uh, and if you're having a conversation uh, with someone who's looking in terms of enhancing their career, right? A lot of our listeners are probably very curious about how they can advance in this profession. So from a career perspective, what advice do you have for them?
1: Do what makes your brain happy. Uh, it's very hard to be <laughs> self-motivated. and uh, We've talked about this in the past. You can't just force somebody to do some of this stuff. Uh, you can't just force people to do analytics and be uh, brilliant at it. And so if you find like whatever that little sliver is um, that makes your brain happy, take that and then blow it up. If that is um, like, I hate report writing so much. It was one of my least favorite mm-hmm. things to do. Like I'm fine doing all the audit, they get to the report and I'd be like, I don't wanna do that right now. Um, but I know there's people who have you know lit backgrounds and that's what they enjoy. And so if that is, then like hone in on that. There's tons of resources for uh, like improving audit report writing. And then you can like, you can own that piece for the team. Like you're the go-to person the same way you might have a data analyst who's the go-to person. You can be the go-to person for, you know, basically reviewing all the audit reports and giving feedback on those. And that's a huge, I mean... The audit report is like, you know, our product, you know, you'll hear a lot of right. people say. So if you can own something like that, uh, I think that's going to going to make you stand out. So find whatever little thing makes your brain happy and then just blow it out of the water um, in whatever way that, you know, that kind of makes sense.
0: Become an expert at it. I like your example about the report writing for a number of reasons. And one of them is is, is that that other person who was not working on that audit will see things a certain way, will perhaps ask questions similar to what they Readers will be asking because they were not part of the team that did the audit. So that will hopefully enhance clarity when that report is published. And and the other thing about that, too, is in terms of consistency of the tone. right? That person is the one that's looking at all of the reports. So hopefully they will have a, a consistent look and feel, which might be very helpful to the organization as well in terms of how they're viewed by our clients. So, uh, Trent, in terms of, of career, I, and one of the things that uh, I believe, uh, and I think from my, uh, you know, the many times that we have interacted, you you have this thing about not only looking at the data, but also looking at the soft skills. And, and how important it is to be able to do the number crunching, but at the same time, convey the results, convey the implications, and turn it into a call to action. So how do you see that uh, in terms of career advice and career advancement for those people who may perhaps be so embedded into the statistic that they sometimes forget? Do you think that that is something we also perhaps need to have a Post-it note next to our computer and say, always remember that it's not for you, it's for the ultimate reader?
1: Yeah, uh, it's huge. And I would always see in resume or or job postings, like for data jobs, like it must be an effective communicator. And I was like, yeah, sure. I mean, like put that on there Mm because you have to put that on there. But nobody's going, oh, yeah, that's me. I can do that. Or, well, I can't. I'm not an effective communicator. So I'm not going to apply. You know, I just thought it was kind of like we have to put that out there until um, I started working with like hardcore data people who did not communicate effectively and they were basically like lock me in a closet give me a laptop let me do my thing I don't want to even talk to people Um, if you can't communicate the results effectively which is such a huge missing piece like I've failed in that context in the past I would do all these these great analytics I would provide zero context to the auditor that's using them and they're like I don't know what this is I'm not even going to use this Mm -hmm. and so the communication piece is huge uh, and you're going to start to see more and more about things like telling story, uh, data storytelling with data, uh, those types of topics, because we have these like brilliant data scientists that are doing all this great work, and then the results make it to management, and management goes, "I don't know what to do with this." And so, um, I think that's going to be a really important skill set. That that you know, earlier we talked about finding that like little sliver of what makes your brain happy and blowing it out. Telling a story with data is gonna be one of those things that you could really add a ton of value on, uh, very niche, uh, but is, is huge uh, in terms of importance.
0: Trit, thank you so much for sharing your insights. Uh, I always enjoy talking with you and, and you're so generous with your uh, knowledge and your perspective on things. So thank you very much for joining us on, on the show today. Thank you for listening to the Skeptical Auditor podcast, and a big thank you to our guest, Trent Russell. If you're looking for more ways to stay ahead of the curve and earn CPEs, check out Audit Pro TV On Demand, subscription learning for auditors by auditors. Visit ACILearning.com slash TV.